Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. We are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. You can find the link to our blog in the episode notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, share your favorite episodes, and jot down our information uh, when you see it. Um, my name is Andy Libson. I'm a teacher and socialist here in Oakland. Um, and of course, we are joined again with, by Kenny, a, a community organizer and socialist here in San Francisco, and Jessica, who teaches English literature and writing um, at the university level in Pacific Northwest. And you will see that we also have another guest, a special guest who has come, been a frequent uh, guest here on What's Left, Allison McDowell. Um, and I guess, Allison, I, I know that you're still doing Wrenching the Gears, um, mm. but when Allison joins us, or every time Allison joins us, I think of things like Fourth Industrial Revolution, I think about blockchain, I think about the metaverse, I think about data, I think about social impact investing, and I also think about, though, the, the notion, Allison, you often talk about is not being able to use the master's tools. Um, and the idea that um, in understanding all this technology, it, it, there has to be an understanding that this technology is not being made to improve our lives, and we won't be able to we won't be able to use it to get the kind of world we want. Um, and actually, I think the other thing I feel like you've often said, Allison, is what capitalism did to blacks and Africans and slavery and to indigenous people in establishing itself and the accumulation of capital. I kind of feel like you believe now the world is in a place where the rest of us are going to be joining them in, in a kind of um, uh, kind of hellhole of of lack of rights, of basically mass exploitation. Um, and I feel like that's the kind of vision you spelled out for the future. Um, so that, that's my introduction of you. The planned future. They're planned. The those <laughs> in power, right? Yeah. It's not a yeah. foregone conclusion, but correct, correct. We have that's to get the plan clarity about it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and today um, we were hoping to kind of start with an introduction to blockchain and then see where it takes us. I know, Allison, you've been spending a lot of time talking about blockchain and its implications and whether it can be used and some of the other things that co-opted cryptocurrency can be used to uh, keep us out of this dark future. Um, and uh, we thought it'd be a good chance to kind of get more deeply into what blockchain is. And then it's the, the fact that it's being introduced as a technology of control and of data collection and data movement. What does mm -hmm. it mean for our future? Um, does that sound about right? Sounds good. Okay. So Kenny, you said uh, you had a question that we, we might want to start with, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm curious as to what we think blockchain is, because uh, I mean, the first uh, way I came to hear blockchain in, on a regular basis in more than one way was through Allison. And so I'm curious as to where we're at now. Um, I know, Jessica, you're you know, joining this conversation with Allison, uh, and please prepare yourself. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's and, not that bad. <laughs> I usually go into, into a, a days of a few days, and then I go back. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just curious as to what we think, what we've heard about blockchain. You know, it's not a quiz, Jessica. We just, I'm just curious as to <laughs> what we think it is, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if you guys want to start or you want me to start. Um, I'm not. The best way I understand blockchain is this decentralized nodes of data storage. Um, the few thing elements that I 
know about it are the decentralization is supposed to be a basis for privacy and for security. Um, but the other piece I know about it is, is it's massive enough that it seems to be able to allow all of the information about us, any, all the financial things we do, educational things we do, uh, any place we go to always be stored somewhere. Um, and to, even if it's decentralized, all that information is accessible in some way, shape or form on this weird node-like infrastructure. And so in my mind, what it has done is it turned, like I have a file at work that has all some stuff in it, it's pieces of paper, but that's very limited. And what it is in my mind, what blockchain is, is it's you take, instead of just this limited file where there's some writing about what my transcript might've been and where I might've worked before, I feel like everything I do and everything I've done is now stored somewhere. And my fast, my file just is is has gone from just being a small file to like an entire file of my life collected on a digital platform, um, with the notion that somehow I control it, but I feel like I don't. So that's the first thing I would say. That's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kenny, I'll go over to you, and then we'll, we'll finish up with Jessica. Uh, so, you know, I've heard this stuff that you just described more here, like with Allison. Uh, I, I don't hear much of that outside. I, I, I hear blockchain in relation to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. That is how, how I hear it being spoken of. Yes, you know, they, they, they do sell privacy. They do sell, um, you know, um, freedom of sorts, liberty, and, and, and also like, that is supposed again uh, to protect you, and 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 uh, it's this wonderful thing, you know, that just came to be, and and people are excited about Bitcoin, right? And, and so, but I've heard this other stuff, right? Like the, the stuff that Allison talks, the implications for education, for our, our our personal information, especially those of kids, right? I've heard it in terms of ed tech, um, and and so. But I still didn't have a, you know, like a working understanding of what it is exactly, blockchain. Uh, and so I have looked into it, you know, a little bit. Uh, you know, I have a better sense, you know, of how it operates uh, in terms of, you know, like the, the data packets and how, like, it has dates and, like, it has a traceable, you know, like, a, um, there is a traceable line, I guess, in, in information that is created and is connected. And so... In some ways, I personally have come to think of um, one of like at least one aspect of blockchain is about private property um, on a digital you know world because it, it traces you know I saw the other day that uh, like the first NFT uh, house was sold like real estate right <laughs> you know like uh, and, and so what is an NFT like non uh, fungible token and so <laughs> I went down that rabbit hole right and, and, and it is connected but again like um, I think there is a massive difference of what is spoken. In, what is spoken in public is very limited, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And and, and, and again, it's, it's just in relation to a cryptocurrency, really. That it, that that like the news covers blockchain, at least from my experience. <clears throat> Jessica. Yeah, I mean, I I think I share uh, most of what you guys articulated in terms of my working understanding i definitely like outside of these types of spaces i definitely hear it being associated pretty much exclusively with crypto and with like financial transactions 
but I know, you know, the, the area that I've looked into the most probably is ed tech just coming, you know, coming to this as a teacher myself. I guess I kind of think of it as just like a, like a data ledger, like a giant expanding data, data ledger. Uh, I know we're gonna talk about Lego and I almost like, you know, searching for metaphors in my mind, I kind of think of like these blocks, mm-hmm. uh, like mapping, mapping out our, our digital identities and our lives and also right it it's about privacy but it's you know supposedly about privacy but also they can't be moved right so even if one of those blocks you know gets stuck onto another block like it even if it's wrong like even if the information about you is is incorrect it can't be undone as I understand it you could like add another block that said, oh, don't pay attention to that block, but it right. doesn't. Like, it came. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all really good. I mean, those are, that's, that's, a, that's, yeah. I mean, that touches on a lot of things. Um, for me, I think part of the challenge with blockchain is because it's been so closely held with like digital money and our understanding of what money is, um, which is about to, I think, fundamentally change, it's hard to have these other conversations. But like what Kenny, when you were saying about the NFTs, this idea that things can be tokenized, anything can be tokenized. Um, You can represent a material item as a digital token, like with the house, you know, you, you didn't actually buy the house, you just bought a digital ownership thing, like in a mural of the house, but well, you didn't actually get access to the house itself. So it's a digital representation. And, and in that way, um, like the shift in capitalism to digital capitalism is central because the blockchain is what tracks your property, the things you own, as well as your rights and privileges from the material world to the digital world. Does that make sense? So like for capitalism to continue to grow and expand, we've kind of reached the outer limits of what the physical world can do for us. And so now they're building a replica for the growth, right? Like that's, and it's going to be coded and then we're going to live in there. And and so like, there's not only a you, you, there's a virtual you, there's maybe five virtual yous. And then all of that has um, property attached to it, rights, money, fake money, the fiction of all of these, the stuff circulating, but that it needs the blockchain to essentially be the portal that links the digital you to the real you. Um, So, I mean, I think that's really central in this. I think people imagine like digital money is just being in the material world, but really it's about the metaverse. It's about doing all of that. Mm. Um, And I will also say a key word around blockchain is trust. They talk about blockchain trust, and it's because we're going into the next phase of globalization, which is something that I find really frustrating in us. Like it's not really being discussed is like there are many people who throw on the world globalist, but they're not actually talking about the economic paradigm of globalization and what the last phase did, you know, to, um, you know, dispossessed labor and um, the growth of the prison industrial complex and the drug wars and all of that sort of thing. Um, the next phase is going to be much more intense because now they're planning on digitizing services, which some teachers have already experienced um, before the pandemic, like with VIP Kid and online tutoring services. And that was 
sort of built off of the call center, you know, and tech support industries, and then it's going farther. So now with the creation of more sophisticated online platforms for graphical and engineering design, as well as these telepresence robots, it's going to go, this is going to go to places I don't think we can imagine, but that means that you're existing in a trustless world. And so if you're competing for labor on the other side of the planet, they don't know you like this. There, there isn't even like a person who's going to take the AI sorting of the resumes and like narrow it down, like narrow down the 50 candidates for the job interviews. Like literally it's going to just be scaled based on what's in your blockchain wallet. Like that's and what your reputation score is. And that's going to depend on like what kind of work you get. And it's going to be more and more precarious. So all of this stuff rolls on your digital identity, which will be assigned to you likely through the government, you know, and that's, I think that's the thing that's concerning me now is even with the rollbacks on some of the health requirements. um, Now I feel like what's going to surge forward is the electronic government stuff. Like they'll backpedal off of the health for maybe a, you know, part of a year, and then they'll surge with like, okay, now, but everybody needs to have a digital identity to access the internet or your digital government to file your taxes, you know, your digital identity to file your taxes or your driver's licenses and, and that that's going to be the next campaign. And unfortunately the health freedom community hasn't, I think they're getting there with understanding digital identity, but they're still mostly equating it with the health freedom thing, not the metaverse. Although that's changed. I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me if it's, it seems like it's maybe changed in the last quarter. People know it better. I want to like. Why do you think it is, or has been, so difficult for people who are really fixated on fighting some of the health stuff and like the the vaccine mandates and that? Like, why is it so hard for them to grasp or prioritize? Well, I think it's really hard. Like, part of it is like your worldview. So we've lost the liberals and progressives and lefts for the most part, right? Like most of those, you know, 90% of those people, what for whatever reason, blame it on the nanotech. Like they couldn't get, they can't get it. So then you're left with people who predominantly have more of a conservative view or a libertarian view. But that is also like embedded in the get the government out of your life framework, which directly feeds into the blockchain paradigm. Unfortunately, and that's, I think, what we're seeing with, like, the Canadian convoy now is, like, it's shifting into, like, a crypto program. (laughs) And unfortunately, like, there was a clip I put out, like, someone shared it with me of Justin Trudeau's half-brother, and he's somehow involved in this. And he's like, yeah, get the government. The government is so terrible. Like, we should just break this whole thing down and, like, replace it with a decentralized autonomous organization. Like, literally, like, we should just replace elected officials with how the computer and then that would be a blockchain. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, unfortunately this, and, and when you start to back up and look at some of the major donors, and again, it's always follow the money. Like these are people with ties to tech and AI and crypto. It didn't just happen that way, which is not to say that the average person on the street, I'm sure they have not much clue, but like within the narrative structure the libertarian Bitcoin crypto crew has been taken out like, you know, a substantial chunk of the conservatives into that zone. Right. And so then you're sort of left with like, well, I have sort of progressive values, but the progressives aren't with me. And I know that the tools of 
that the libertarians are pushing are going to lead to further um, like mercenary servitude. It may not be by the government, but it will be by Peter Thiel or someone else. So, but it's very hard to have that conversation with them because the narrative has been claimed, you know, and, and then there's certain key figures. The celebrity figures have been fixated on keeping your eyeballs on fear, depopulation, virus, you know, like the virus narrative never ex- very limited on the expansion. Like if, if it's expanding, I think it's because there's pressure being put on them. They kind of have, they can't ignore it anymore, but, um, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard being almost two years in and realizing like I was, I don't know, Andy, like at first I thought, well, I'm just going to be able to explain to people what's happening. And then the, the, the people who have bigger voices than me will pick it up and they'll understand too. And then we'll make progress and have a strategy. And that hasn't happened, but I, I don't think it's because I'm, my analysis is wrong. I just think that we're in weaponized narrative warfare. And unfortunately the, the resistance such as it is, is certainly not a monolith. Yeah. And a lot of people are not thinking strategically about what the long-term plan is. They don't know the plan. I mean, I think that they can kind of see that the plan is transhumanism, but they don't know exactly how it is going to get there. And the, how it is going to get there is through blockchain. It's the hive mind consciousness. Yeah. And it's going to be injected through the education system and the health system. But, you know, I've kind of like left the health freedom stuff for the time being, because it's pointless for me to try to engage because I'm not going to change anybody's position now. So I've just gone back to the education space, which was my home territory because it's going to come around. Mm-hmm. And I want to check, Kenny, you might've had a question or comment and I want to come back to this because I have a slightly different, I'm, I think I have a more optimistic view of the territory in the anti-mandate world around the stuff around digital stuff. But Kenny, I want to see if you had a comment or either something you wanted to say. Yeah, I just kind of want to back- backtrack and still connect it with this stuff that you're saying. Um, you know, just on the, I, I, I've been reading uh, Fabio Vigi uh, we had an article here uh, before, and you know, uh, I read this um, title. This most recent one is "The Central Bankers' Long COVID and Incurable Condition." And so, um, then there's a paragraph there where he talks about an in introduction um, about like the basically the limitations of capitalism, right? From automation, he talks about since the 1980s, you know, automation has uh, you know pushed one of the contradictions of capitalism, right? Which is like how much uh, you're replacing labor, then who are you extracting value from? And so this is where I think uh, blockchain, you know, it's, it's uh, I, again, I don't know if it's an accidental like uh, um, creation, but it, it does solve that riddle, you know, to, to that mm-hmm. from a, my vantage point that, you know, yes, you're gonna replace people's jobs, but they can still produce value and sell something, you know, mm-hmm. of theirs, right? Instead of their time, they can sell their data and mm-hmm. then still participates in this economy. And then, you know, this is why it's so important. And there's such a push for ID2020 and the World Bank, you know, owns projects of inc- like uh, incorporating uh, the, the global South, right? The people without yeah. digital identities, right? Because it's, it's not so much to uplift them, you know, mm-hmm. and because like, I don't, I read a book a long time ago, I don't remember the title, but it's just something along the lines of like two thirds of the world economy happens in the informal sector. Yeah. But if you bring them, you know, with digital identity, then you're, you're putting, you're casting a bigger net, you know, of people, and especially with blockchain and these technologies of data collection, then you can not only 
bring more people into the web, but just um, break shit down smaller in the smallest pieces and make profit of more things. You know, mm-hmm. so it's an expansion of markets, right? That is the need of capitalism. And so I guess uh, like kind of my question, maybe we can address it later. Is like, you know, like, is this something that just happened? Was this a product of the system itself? Because again, it sold us a libertarian project, like the, you know, like, you know, like over, over, uh, like, you know, dismissing the government bureaucracy and all this stuff. That's what Bitcoin is being sold mm-hmm. as. But, you know, there, there is projects going on in Africa, right, of, of, <laughs> of uh, uh, digital currency. And, and then we need to understand, you know, this is what, what stood out to me, you know, what you said that we don't understand money because, you know, yes, we are doing transactions digitally, but digital currency is different than just having your money from your bank account, you know, that, that you're collecting by selling your labor. And so I think there is a difference that, that at least I want to explore uh, because like there are more implications, just more than just having the money that you go and sell your time for. I think yeah. that, you know, there's gonna be other ways that you gain value to exchange it for those services and, and, and the ability to participate in society. And so I guess my point is like, regardless you know, whether it was created on purpose, for, to solve this riddle of capitalism, it is here and it's convenient and it solves that riddle, at least for me, you know, uh, for the capitalists in, in continuing to expand exploitations of people and nature in general. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things and what I meant about changing views of money and I, and, and a lot of this, like I've, my my friend Jason Bosch, you know, he's been studying the money monetary system for a long time, and and that's you know has new to me. But he talked about wanting to write a children's book about like freedom tickets because he's like money isn't really money. Money is stuff. It gives you the ability, the freedom to do things, right? If you have lots of money, then you can do lot whatever you want, and if you don't, you can't. And so it's really buying access. Um, and buying comforts and buying things, but it's it's not necessarily the denominations, but it's the 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 type of life you can have if you have how many freedom tickets you have. And so I think as we start to tokenize rights and privileges, which I think will be increasingly tied to, you know, biosurveillance testing, you know, going on is like, do you have a token in your wallet that says you're allowed to do this for this set time period? that essentially everything will become tokenized. And, you know, I had an exchange with this guy who is the head of the Learning Economy Foundation. And he's like, oh no, it's great. The blockchain, everything is like, we're not trying to take advantage of people. Everybody has data privacy and it's wonderful. And I said, it doesn't really matter if it's private, if what we've built is a spatial web world where what you're allowed to do is based on the tokens in your digital wallet. If you walk up to a store and you don't have the digital token to make the door open, it doesn't really matter that it's private technically, is that anyone around you who can see that you can't open the door knows that you don't have the token. Like your your world is ruled by a tokenized cyber physical system. And like, I don't, we haven't had a conversation as a society if we wanna live that way. I said, I don't really, I don't care if I have data privacy, I don't wanna live in a world governed by smart toilet tokens. 
you know, and I've talked about that before, like wake up in the morning and, you know, combine the drug testing stuff with your smart toilet and you get a token, whether you're allowed, how you can participate in society. And so I think that's the new form of currency. I mean, Kenny, you weren't exactly saying that, but that's where it goes next is, you know, you might have X amount of like stuff you imagine to be currency, but then your other value is like, how are you allowed to participate? And those tokens may end up even being more valuable. Um, so. Oh, Kenny's taken this conversation in a slightly different direction, but it's gotten, I do want to say something about it. Cause I also <laughs> want to come back to the question yeah. of All what right. the heck's wrong with people. Can they, are they going to be stuck on, you know? Thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. And of course, at some point we'll be talking more about blockchain. Um, <laughs> but um, so here's what comes to mind for me as it relates to the, the things about blockchain and the economic aspect of it, or, or the idea that they might've solved a riddle of crisis that, cause what, what are the riddles they have to solve? They have to solve the business cycle, in my opinion, the falling rate of profit and how, how do they, how do they do that? And it makes me think about world war one. It makes me think about a time when uh, there were socialists who said, Oh yeah, capitalism is going into crisis, but they figured out how to get around that crisis. Monopoly, credit system, um, mm -hmm. uh, the certain levels of state organization that they that they thought were going to lead towards solving these crises, and in fact, there was in my mind one of the most smartest social Marxists I know of, Rosa Luxemburg. I don't know her, but you know she wrote these great things. She actually said all these things that they're calling solutions to the problem are only making it greater, greater crisis, which only means that this is this whole thing is going to come into a crash. And this was all. This was all mm -hmm. talked about in 1902 or 1903 and 1904 at a time when, when capitalism was back on the rise and it, 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 it led, I mean, she was right because 1914, 1915 crisis hits profits, nowhere to be found. And it leads to a, a war in which basically mass capital has to be destroyed. And the, the new, new pathways for profits to be refound had to go to world war II, And then another whole mass destruction had to go through, not just in terms of people, but in terms of capital. And I do think about that. Like, I'm, I don't know enough about blockchain to know that it hasn't solved the riddle. But here's what it makes me think, is it makes me think that it, it's capitalists thinking they've solved the riddle, but they haven't. Because what it sounds like to me is something that Marx talked about as a growing expression of the crisis, which is larger and larger sections of capital will find itself in the financial sector, in these sort of imaginary sectors that are decoupled from where actual value was, which was the act of human labor in changing something. That's that's what he said. He, he, that's what Marx, the basic idea of Marx is that human labor time decides the actual value of the thing. And that's a theory, but that's that's what I'm still going off of, even as, you know, of the, if there's a thousand Marxists in a room, 999 want you to get a jab want you to, are in favor of lockdowns <laughs> like that. So I'm me and Kenny and a few others are one of the Marxists that don't want to do that. I cannot say that. I'm just saying we were the Marxists who don't want to do that. Um, and unfortunately the rest of them do. But, but see, part of it is like, I don't think that the Marxist in the materialism can take the next step into digital economics and well, nanotechnology because it doesn't seem material. Right. You're well, still stuck with the way you described labor and value. And I'm like, no, 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 actually right. labor is going to be changing the nature of labor, the way the nature of money is going to be changing. So, but I don't think 
based on my why, experience yeah. two years, they can't process that. Correct. And I would probably include myself among those group that can't process because I'm I am still holding to the notion that this doesn't no no I'm just saying <laughs> that that this is this is not going to solve the crisis. It's going to lead to a greater crisis of profitability, which will inevitably lead to like Although there's always another crash. I mean, there's always well, like, but, but I do, that's why for me, I, cause I mean, again, I, and I'm not here, I'm just saying that that's my framework. And I, cause I do, I do think there's something definitely new going on here. And there is a something called the fourth industrial revolution. I just, I don't believe it's a solution. And I don't even, I don't even believe if the capitalists get it to work, it can be a solution. I believe it ends in, in global competition and global competition for falling profits. And that's why it's for war. So I'll just say that. I'm not going to say it as like, this isn't, shouldn't necessarily be the part, but I, I wanted to add that as like, I'm still okay. coming from that framework, which is right. traditional Marxist thinking, I think. And I just want to clarify that I'm not saying that they've solved the riddle forever, but at least it provides a temporary solution to, again, the, 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 just the, the pillage that has happened, especially over the last 30 years. Right, it, 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 you know, and um, and so I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that this ends in that fully materializing. This world that we are worried about doesn't, you know, because there, there's still the, the material reality of these competing nations, right, and for falling profits. And so it is an attempt to solve that riddle. I think it is a temporary fix, you know, but inevitably. I think just like you know, we talk about climate change. Climate change is not what it's not gonna, what's going to undo society, you know. And there are questions about that, you know, even about yeah. like what climate change is, you know, if it's real, you know, if it's exaggerated to a degree, especially from this pandemic. Right now, we know like, hey, like, is that really what they're telling us? And so, but again, there are you know forces you know that are going to crash, that are competing. And, and, and I, I don't see it, you know, that's what we kind of talk about. I don't see this fully materializing to what they want, you know, the fully technocratic uh, uh, panopticon, you know, it, it will manifest in many ways. And it is because I, I do think that we're coming into focus, but it is still not one thing, you know, it's still these like scattered things, at least that's my sense of it. And, and I, I don't think we'll see the full like shape of the beast you know, I think the beast will, uh, will just crash to, you know, in a massive bellic, you know, uh, display of the horrible technology that we're producing right now. And so I, I, in that sense, I agree with you. So what I'm saying is that at least temporarily, I, I see us more moving to what Alison has talked previously, the nanny state, right? The, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's where blockchain comes into this, right? Where, but it's, where it's a nanny state with private investment. So essentially, the, the public-private partnership, the P3 model, like, and that's what I think the libertarians don't get is that, like, actually, it's both. Like, the government is is the app provides the infrastructure to have access to the people for the investment. If there were no government, I mean, eventually, maybe they can get to the point that if everybody's on blockchain, they can just do a direct investment. But at least for now, in the bridge, they still do need the the. Uh, an austerity welfare system to have the apparatus to get to the people until the digital identity stuff is fully fleshed out. I want to see if Jessica, if you have anything you want to come in on this stuff. Yeah. Well, one, okay. I have a few thoughts, but one question I want to raise is just with regard to like, will this fourth industrial world 
come to fruition fully? I mean, I agree, no. But the question I want to raise is, does it even matter? Like if it goes fully, and I don't know if we're going to get in at some point to some of the the materials Allison had sent, but I'm I'm thinking about that, uh, the the video about the exosphere, right? And the whole idea that like, okay, right now maybe the technology is not fully there, right? Like robots are not capable of completely taking over production or whatever it may be, right? And part of what that video seemed to me to be addressing is like, okay, well, how did they kind of troubleshoot for that? I think they called it like the last 10% or right, or like whatever <laughs> hiccup that the AI currently can't handle. Right. Like there's a way around that. And and even like with blockchain, I mean, you know, thinking about some of the uh the manifestations of that, like um, you know, uh programs in like poverty stricken areas that I know you've talked a lot about Allison of like, well, when the, when the, when the system or when the thing doesn't work, it actually doesn't really matter to like the whole web. Right. It only matters like person to that person, you know, it's the same way of like, whatever you're trying to deal with a insurance claim. Right. And you call the thing and you have to go through the whole automated thing and you can't get through and like, it's not working, and right. but who suffers? Like you, right. you're the, you're right. the only one that <laughs> I know. suffers. So, like, does it even matter? Say it, say it comes forty percent to fruition, or sixty percent to fruition, or even ten. Like, it's yeah, bad. It's bad. still really yeah. bad, right? <laughs> In terms of human cost. Yeah, I agree because, like, a lot of people have been like. I mean, not a lot, but I've had a number of people just say like, oh, it won't work. The AI, it's not, it'll break. And I'm like, no, I'm not saying it's some slick, shiny, seamless, functional system. I'm like, it's a lurching, broken, treacherous, brutal system. But if you can make people do it, it doesn't really matter if it's shitty. (laughs) You know, it's just going to, just going to run over you with it, even if it's crap. Last comment I want to make on this is that you know I agree with you like it doesn't have to have come into full fruition. We're we're already seeing right like the the ability to wield the tools of this system right to censor people to cancel dissent and you know even if we take two steps forward you know and and, and then they have the ability to ruin your life right and squeeze you to submission you know it's gonna happen <laughs> you know like. And and I think that's the implications of blockchain, even the the next two steps that we're talking about, or maybe that have already been taken, you know, of, you know, canceling you out from functioning in society, because again, that's the implication of the vaccine passport thing, right? That it it made life so hard for people who dissented, you know, on this. Mm -hmm. We we are those people. Mm -hmm. And, and, And it was incredibly it took an incredible emotional, psychological, financial toll on a lot of us. And, and again, just take one more step forward. And then it, 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 that's the, the implications that there is almost game over. Like, how do you fight back? You know, and, and, and how do you then still, again, take up space, right? And, and, and how do you, like Lipson has raised that question, how do you go and strike online? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You know, and so those are the implications, right? That are only one or two steps ahead. And, but I, at that point, I, I don't know what else to do. You know, like, and, 
Uh, yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And just to be clear, like, I don't think there's middle ground. Um, there's no, there's no stable middle ground here. Like if from my vantage point, they will go on with their plan that they're trying to, I do think it has this element of transhumanism in it and the, the digital blockchain and digital IDs and everyone's life on a ledger and all labor essentially being accessible to the capitalist anywhere uh, at any time. And like Jessica was saying, you know, the humans doing 10% of the full job because 90% of it, the computer can figure out how to do. And by eventually it can figure the 10% out because you're helping us train, you're helping train the computer by doing the 10%, you're helping train the computer to get better at the 10% as it is. But regardless, um, you know, so that's a, that's a bad. So I, I would say that, that capitalism and thinking that it can have a stable future for itself. I would say, no, it doesn't. It either leads to global war that leads to an end for us all. Some version that makes it very unpleasant to live on the planet for humans, at least. Or I do think there needs to be some kind of revolution like that. There's no alternative. Um, and, uh, and that revolution, I think I still call it socialism, but at the very least, it looks like something like what people are doing in India, in Canada, taking physical space and saying, this is ours with their physical bodies. It's not done in the metaverse. It's not done online. Um, and this is the part I'm coming, becoming more clear on in my head. It's something else and you've raised early on, which is, this is the master's tool stuff that these these tools will not be able to be used uh, as a means of changing the society into the thing we want it to be. We're going to have to use the old tools of things we touch and smell and see and are near um, and each other are going to be part of that. And if we don't do that, we're done for. Like we are done for, um, I believe. I just want to add too. I think I've raised this before, but I think another aspect of this whole thing that, uh, maybe doesn't get talked about enough is like the data actually like all the blockchain data, all of the crypto, all of that, like it doesn't actually live like invisibly in the cloud. Like you have to have data for it, yeah. right? Like you actually do have, there's a material uh, violation as I see it, right. Mm -hmm. That happens there in terms of ecology and um, you know, the actual planet that we live, live on. Well, and what's overwhelming is the advances that they're making now because of the intense amount of data storage that's going to come online with the Internet of Things is they're talking about storing it in DNA. And right now that's all like, oh, it's all artificial DNA, like in a box or something. You know, it's so convenient. You could just store all this stuff. But I'm thinking I'm pretty sure it's not all going to just stay to be artificial stuff. You know, like you don't make stuff as DNA and be like, let's not put it in a body, you know, <laughs> or put it in living tissues. Like you're making this DNA. Like it, it does feel very matrixy. I mean, yeah. it is what it is, but like, I mean, I was doing this research and, you know, I wrote a short story at the end of 2018 where I was talking about this. Like I had you know, talked about like data farms and like little children who were like not qualified to like be on a career pathway would like it was like the doffers in the, you know, the textile mills, like the little kids would run between the machines and like run between the DNA and whatever. But it's. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah. I mean, there is a material reality to it. And I think the the DNA data storage is very troubling, like the ethics of what that means. And haven't they been harvesting all our DNA through testing for 10 years now? <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
I, and it's so funny because it's like they do this. They hmm, we're building this technology. Oh, it looks like we can store information on DNA. Where where is there something that has a lot of DNA on it that we can store <laughs> some data? I'm looking around here. It's well, the crazy thing is, is like when I was, I, I got off track before, but when, you know, this, this stuff with uh, the Global Education Futures Forum in Chugach, Alaska, and this pilot project in these charter schools that were like partially hybrid in Alaska, targeting indigenous communities. And they were like, oh, well, we're going to train them to be health techs, like at these charter schools. And then they can work. It was like work-based learning. And then they were being lab techs. And then a lot of these programs, in addition to having ties to Exxon, because this was like the area where the, the oil spill was and the Exxon presence, it would it was military contracting because there's actually a lot of defense contracts that run through tribal governments because of like preferencing and contractual arrangements. So it's like they were doing cybersecurity and they were doing health tech. And this is, you know, something I stumbled into in like 2016, 2017. And at the time, it didn't mean anything. I was thinking, like, how are they having high school kids do lab work remotely in Alaska? How weird is that? Like, to me, it made no sense at all. Like, why would you even have any need that high school kids would be doing lab work remotely? Well, now it's like, you know, now we know that they're setting up a global biosurveillance state, you know, and, and perpetual pandemic. So, yeah, now it makes a lot more sense. But five years ago, I was just like, now, I was still stuck in the public school charter school conversation, and I wasn't even thinking about all this other stuff. But it was, I mean, those people, you know, the people who were behind piloting those programs knew what was coming. Yeah. And I wonder if this is, the oh, go ahead, Ken. And I'm just, just going to ask, so what is blockchain? <laughs> <laughs> so do you think we should segue to the, to the, um, to the video? Or is it can I give a little bit of an intro about Legos first? Yes. Okay. So we're going to start with Suzanne Gildert, who is um, with Sanctuary AI in Vancouver at the Singularity Talk. And she's talking about teleop robots and that you will put your consciousness through virtual reality into a robot and do remote work. And people will be ultimately competing for this work on blockchain. And you know, as a public school parent, and my child didn't actually participate, but I'd had kind of creepy feelings about the Lego robotics teams for a while. Um, and I, I had someone that I was acquainted with whose kids were involved. And she was like, yeah, you know, there's defense department people at these competitions. Hmm. And, you know, they're all lifted up as, you know, wonderful or whatever. And so I started going back because the, the Learning Economy Foundation that I've spent some time and I did a larger presentation on was working with MIT Media Lab and the World Bank and Lego to create app-based games on blockchain so that children six years old could earn verifiable credentials. Mm with like Lego branded games on a phone, perhaps in mixed reality, like you would do some like manipulative and document, I guess, on the phone to get a badge. And so this is clearly part of this larger trajectory, but I didn't realize that Lego was working with MIT Media Lab. And it turns out they were one of the first and largest funders of MIT Media Lab, which is a really huge deal. Um, and that relationship went back to the mid 1980s. And so the, the Mindstorms Lego Robotics Leagues built off of something called Logo, which Seymour, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Paper, Papier, 
PA looks like paper with a T on the end. Seymour. And he and Marvin Minsky were, were collaborators at MIT Media Lab. They were specialists in AI. And Papier, he came to MIT after doing work. He was a mathematician with Piaget in Geneva on constructivist learning. Now, this is the stuff that all sort of aligns with like the John Taylor Gatto, liberty, like independent thinking. And in some ways, it sounds really good. But if you blend it with what is coming with like Jeff Bezos's push for Montessori pre-K, the idea that if you create independent learners who are just going off and doing their own thing and are being monitored by technology and their learning is happening through digitally mediated technologies, all of that data capture ends up feeding the AI. And the thing about the constructivism from what I understand is it sounds good. Again, like learning is personal, learning you know, is scaffolded, learning is with peers, all of these things that yes, 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 yes. Except for if you're doing it at Panopticon and they're watching you to train the machine learning system so that when the edge case robot delivery package delivery hits a tree, it knows what to do. And so when you think about us being part of this, like our children, even down to very young, like toddlers embedded in this web, it's very overwhelming. So um, anyway, when we talk to like, look at Suzanne Gilder, I think if we back it up and think that this trajectory with getting the data to for us to collaborate with robots, for us to program the robots is at some point going to flip. And that through our digital twins, these, it won't be robotic systems, but AI systems start to program us. And in one of the, the quotes, and this is in a separate clip that Gildard actually says, she's like, it's gonna be wonderful. And this is framed within diversity and inclusion that, you know, we're gonna, all, you know, people sit around a fire and tell stories and a stranger comes up and our reaction is to like push them away, but we need to like be better people and embrace them. And she's talking about the robots and saying at some point in the future that there's going to be, she calls them synths. There's going to be human synths, synth, humans that can run the synth robots. And she said synth brains could run humans. Literally, she says that. And then she's like, or you could have humans with synth parts, or you could have synths with biological parts. And I don't know, I'm assuming that's like a 3D or lab grown organ or something like that. So she's she's already imagining this diverse system of life that she has framed out as if we do not accept this new reality, um, you know, essentially like we're racist people or so, you know, like we're, we're intolerant of, of this new de evolutionary development that's coming. And none of it is being framed as militarized technology that is usurping nature and that nobody actually had a say. So. Anyway. Should we go for it then? Yeah. So friendly looking. I know. <laughs> if you're a company providing this service, you want to, you know, increase your, your profit margin. So you're going to start trying to automate parts of this process. You have to start adding some AI into the system because you want systems that can make decisions in the way humans do. We can take a bunch of AI tools from many, many different companies and we can put those into the robotic platform. So say you had a retail store and you wanted to attract customers, an AI system could just look for people coming past and like wave at them and say, hey, do you want to come in and check out our goods? And then what can happen after that is once the person comes in and they start asking a question that the AI can no longer handle or answer, 
then it can seamlessly switch over to a human pilot and the human can now take control. And that process can be you know, completely transparent. You can either have people know that this is happening or have them not know it's happening, depending on how you architect the system. <laughs> is that there'll be this crossover period between, say for a relatively simple task, between predominantly pilot control, which is what we have today, with the AI maybe jumping in and doing little parts of the automation throughout, to in something like two years' time, those AI programs being able to automate the majority of a task. So what this means for the pilot is that they now become more efficient. So a pilot can now control, say, 10 robots at the same time instead of one robot because they only need to use 10% of their concentration of their duty cycle on each robot and the AI takes over for the rest. The problem with these existing AI techniques, I'm sure anyone who has conversed with an AI or interacted with an AI hasn't had that spark of life experience yet. After this crossover phase into these existing narrow AI solutions, we're not gonna stop there using research that's happening today into cognitive architectures, into the brain, and into neuroscience, is that you actually put together many, many, many different pieces of AI from many different fields, and you create oh. something that works more like a brain than an algorithm. So Taylorism, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, we've been, we have been down a version of that road where the but it was all the it was all the manual labor part, less the mental labor part of being replaced. Um, it was all the manual labor of workers, essentially training their replacement, uh, which they got machines to do little things that that humans could do, and then machines were able over time to do a broader set of human of things that humans had to essentially teach machines to do, based on how they constructed cars or how they constructed. And that's what that's what you said. You read this was. This was the Taylor, the Taylor system. Um, mm -hmm. And now they have figured out how to bring that same process to, uh, to, to replace men the men not, not just the manual, but the mental labor uh, that humans have done. And um, yeah, I agree with you that like people, well, I will, that uh, certainly educators, in addition to not being concerned about the the medical elements that are taking place right now um, seem very indifferent to this notion of this moving forward into that future, um, and and I can say that like uh, I, it does feel like education is turning into something that is being turned into a more remote experience to simulate what I, what looks like to be their future work experience. I mean, do you think most people know anything about this? I mean, that's what I keep saying. Like, how can this, because I think this is pretty far gone. I mean, these, um, when, when she was talking about operating 10 robots, like that specific number came up in the Japan Moonshot Project that I talk about, um, where it's the Japanese Science and Technology Agency. 
uh, with the, it's the government of Japan with uh, Nippon Telegraph and Telephone and SoftBank and also the National Science Foundation of the U.S. and the U.S. Department of Energy and the Carnegie Foundation and the European Horizon Union Horizon Project. It's a global project facilitated through Japan, but their first goal is by 2050 that you live outside of a physical mind and body in time and space, which again, when I first read that a year ago, seemed so far away, so far away. But when you actually look at it, in addition to the um, sanctuary AI robots that Suzanne Gildard is, is built, building, there's another company called Sarcos, which was a University of Utah program with DARPA money that I think now maybe got bought out by Lockheed or Raytheon. Um, and they have exoskeletons, they're military exoskeletons, which again, they're commercializing. So even as we automate, they're saying like, hey, you could be 65 and still work in a warehouse with your exoskeleton. You can carry these heavy boxes. You're like, well, if you have all this automation, why is a 65-year-old having to work in a warehouse, period? Um, uh, but they've also got these remote robotics as well. So there was someone from XPRIZE, which is connected to Singularity University, um, at the presentation in Tokyo on the Moonshot Project. He was pitching tell avatar life, like cyborg, ava cyborg avatar capitalism, cyborg life and what it looked like and the, the image that he put up on the screen. And again, he's a guy from the Bay Area, looks strikingly like the, the exoskeleton VR program that Sarcos is developing. So it's all embedded, you know, and that's why, like, I know you're saying like war, but I'm trying to figure out like, who's that? Like, I think whatever war is going to be a war on life because it's integral. Like I'm trying to figure, I mean, I'm not to say there's no geopolitics in it, but like, I don't know. It's so embedded. Like these companies are these multinational corporations and investment firms are so embedded in each other. I mean, at some point, maybe the AI does the calculus of what's worth having a war over or what's the best profit margin of a war. I'm not saying, but I don't know that maybe the war as it happens is going to look the way we imagine the war happening. I mean, I think the war might already be happening. And we just don't label it as war yet. I don't know, but um, I'll, I'll let's see Jessica yeah. or Kenny, and I'll see if I have something to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just my mind's going back to education. Just thinking about the like the thing about the brain and what you said, Andy, about you know it being you know mental as well as a mental occupation, really, like uh, in addition to a physical one. And I, just this week, um, someone at my at my institution, higher education institution, was sending around. I think it was from Chronicle of Higher Education, you know, who were horrendous. Um, and it was all about like, you know, who, who are what? Who's the class of twenty twenty six or some some year that's not too far off? Um, like, who are they and what do they want? And it was all about behavioral intelligence and social emotional learning right and like all, like measuring it like measuring it measuring it harvesting data <laughs> um and of course like like you kind of said in your framing for the video Allison like it was all framed through diversity and equity right and just knowing the cultural climate right now that framing is so powerful like, I think it will work. I mean, I, I know it's worse in academia, so maybe I'm a little bit more, I don't know, uh, 
like more skeptical than the average person, but it's penetrated so many areas of our lives. Right. And yeah, like, you know, we were talking about the, was it the disability, you know, the guy with um, the prosthetic leg uh, last episode. Right. And like how that stuff, like it's framed as helping people. Um, and it's if you can fun. jump into a robot, it's so like right. it's all equal and they can get the algorithm to totally engineer the right um, ratio of access and equity. But like, that's what's so weird is like within the identity space is like they've worked so hard to craft like identity and intersectionality and all of these things. And then literally the woman is saying like, it's going to be AI, but it could be a variety of pilots just popping in and they may or may not know. And I'm like, so they make a robot and you maybe like are over the course of an hour in a store interacting with 10 different people and you don't even really know who they are or anything about their identity after the whole like last 10 to 15 years has been lifting up identity and now they're just a robot. But like there is an identity, but like, what do you like have a badge that signals like on the, oh, now, now your robot operator has this identity. Now this is this identity. Like, and the crazy thing is, is like MIT has developed these badges already. And like, this is the thing that the educators don't understand. And I, I'm, I need to like make myself sit down and write this blog post, but all of the emphasis on play-based learning, especially for early years. And even for like adults, like adults do better with play is that they've got smart sensor-based manipulatives. And so MIT had developed smart badges and smart tags like back in the early 90s. They were using these badges at conferences and they would have you answer a questionnaire with like five questions, like multiple choice. And somehow you would dip them in a bucket to like do your choice. And so when you went up to a person, it would change color depending on how many question responses you had it similar. Like before you said a word to a person, there's already a color code to tell you, <laughs> you know, and I'm just thinking like, how does, how does this happen? And even, you know, Marvin Minsky who was working with um, paper, prepared, whatever um, he had on, on the Legos on smart Legos, because that's what MIT did was they created a programmable Lego blocks and they're, they're like all the uses Well, you could put them on a door and you could track the door. So the door would give you a greeting when you opened it and the door could track how many people go in and out a day. And I'm like, great. Now we have like QR codes and smart locks, but that's where it goes. But they've trained these kids. And this was again, like in the mid nineties that they were already envisioning that this was coming. And I think that's the thing. It's such a slow boil, right? It's such a slow time. Like, those guys are both dead now, but like they worked their career for 30, 40 years to get this, get all the pieces lined up. So we can say, yes, play-based learning, active learning, smart toys. We're all just doing it so we can build our brains better. Do you, I wanted to ask Andy, do you find because I, I am finding this increasingly with each year that gaming, like specifically video gaming, um, is just such a huge part of like how my students, you know, who are, most of them are like 18 to 22, you know, college students. So can't do my math backwards. Right. But like, they've grown up, like they were born after that stuff was already going on. Um, and it's really horrifying. Like if I ask my students to bring in, you know, uh, a textual artifact, like a lot of them will bring in a video game. Um, it's just such a massive, like 
lens through which they they operate and like form their worldview. So I don't know, is that is that the case for your students too? I mean, <clears throat> I would say that, and this has been going on for a while, and as a person who myself was raised kind of on video games, um, I, I do see more how um, the, the, the space of play in, in, in young people's minds that is taken up by just the digital area versus games, you might outdoor games or even indoor games, or even something that have physical manipulatives um, that where you are interacting with another person who's right across from you, like, like a game, like a, four people all across a monopoly board or two, two people playing Stratego, even that kind of game, which is, again, those are games made by a company that, you know, but um, I, I would say that by and large people's downtime um, if they, if they, since we don't, our school doesn't give them access to their phones. It actually, secures them in a in this little pouch um they still will have everyone's got a chromebook and a lot of times the thing they are going to be doing with their chromebook is um you know snake running around and of course there's Fortnite. there's all sorts of things and then roblox is, is a big one you know um uh that that a lot of students are interested in uh, which is kind of connected to minecraft um or at least it's like the next generation of minecraft um so i i do I do see that there's been a lot of conditioning that that has been ha that's happened um, that could prepare people for being more comfortable in in the digital world uh, than they are in the physical world, and that that would be an unfortunate. If a generation comes up and is more comfortable in this space, that then there's a plan for them, you know, um, because I. I do see, I would say, and this is gets me back to that. I would say in the, in people who are opposed to the mandates, and I really agree with what Allison said about just get the liberals and the left out. We're not even part of this <laughs> discussion. All right. We're kind of like the, the, the few stragglers kicked out of our own communities. <laughs> we show up to you, somebody else's party. Um, but so those other people, let me just say this. When I first had conversations with people on the bridge or at these various luminary things, which most of the people who are involved in this are like, we're exiting, we're getting out and we're going to build our own thing, you know, and we're just, we're done. We're not even going to fight it. We're just going to try to build our own community. Most of those people that I talked to, many of them, Allison, were familiar with your work, but many of them were familiar with the idea of this is not just about mandates. This is not just, this is digital IDs and things like that. What I would say is, I don't think they've come to like, because I don't think we can escape it. Like it's going to come and get us. I don't, I still would say people haven't come to grips with the, the degree of transformation that we are going to have to reimpose as, as the people at the top are trying to transform our, our future. We are going to have to impose our own ability to transform our own future in the way that we need to. And I don't think people have quite come to grips with, how much we have to do, like what a massive transformation we're going to have to make of our own. But I actually think what we'll have to do is just getting back to things that are very natural. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think it's, it's about kind of being more ourselves and more human, but I don't think most people, and I would include myself because I think it has been a journey for me, Allison, and you've been part of that when you've kind of keep coming back to the, indi that indigenous way of living and things like that. And as I've come to see 
all of us being swept into essentially the middle passage kind of thing, you know, um, experience. Um, and the, I do think that the pe people haven't fully grasped, but are open to the idea. Well, they're not, they're against this digital stuff, but I don't think they fully understand how much we're going to have to fight it and how much we're going to have to take all the copper wiring out of the house. Yeah. And it's hard when there's not an easy model, you know, it's, you know, like you, yeah. So that, that would be my take. And, but I will say that go ahead, Allison, and go back to that education space. Good luck with that. You've already been down that road. Well, no, no. But see, the thing is, is like, I'm not necessarily trying to save public schools, but what oh, I'm, I'm trying to also, I mean, the other piece is, is that the blockchain, what's going to come, the yes. trap that's going to be set in Florida and Texas and places is that you're going to get these education savings accounts and they're going to be on blockchain. Yeah. And here, libertarians, like, here's your blockchain digital voucher. Would you like to buy the order the Lego robotics set to your home and your child can help build the military robots at the kitchen table and take a picture and upload it for the skills badge. And that's what's going to happen. And so like trying to educate those folks to say, you know, that also is a problem. Like that's not the, the way out either. But I'll just say that, and I, I don't have proof of this, but I am more optimistic of talking to parents. The parents who right now are like, I don't want my kid vaxxed and I'm taking you out mm. of the system because for that reason alone, I think those mm. parents are also not that excited about the things you're describing, like kids being drawn into that. I'm not saying they're completely opposed to it, but they're not that excited about it compared to teachers who yeah. like are literally like they're from another planet coming in to try to enslave us. You know, like if I didn't know better... <laughs> I, I would say that these people were grown on another planet because they are so um, bought in to what's, what's come, what's, and they even will call it good. And they'll, they'll buy all the individualized crap. They'll even talk about it in terms of social justice. And it's just so, but I, I am more optimistic about parents who are concerned about the medical elements under, coming to understand that this wasn't just a medical plan that there is another plan that's another trap is being laid for your kid. And I think people are not going to be that excited about that. Teachers, I think are, are going to be the last ones. In fact, they may be enemies of, of this process of trying to change things. But um, I think I, I have been encouraged by the general openness to seeing that there's a lot more going on here than just uh, a shot. That's can I say one thing about the tech stuff before, like you were talking about a, like a textual artifact or something, the video game is that one of the other pieces about the Lego um, platform is that what Marvin Minsky said was he was talking about like behavioral change machines. And so that Legos first started off with just the bricks. And I think the first set of instructions was put in a Lego box in 1961. So like from the, all through the fifties and, you know, there were no, you just got bricks and you just made whatever you wanted to make with it. And then they put instructions in and then, you know, we see where things have ended up now, but the programming, they, they talked about like the bricks and then adding wheels and things. And so you can make vehicles. And then the next step was to have these um, programmable units that could then make the, the Legos into robotic 
things and you could program them on your computer and that they would be connected. And that's what the logo turtles was sort of built on that. Um, now they've developed a new thing called scratch. Do you guys know about the scratch? It's a block coding language. And again, I'm not a coding person, but literally I had somebody on Twitter today say that their child was introduced to scratch in first grade now in fourth grade. And they're like, I don't really want to do that like anymore. Like I'm done with games, but essentially it's like Legos that you drag little um, modules on top to tell a machine what to do. And then it makes an animation on the, on the, on the computer. And then it also like might animate your Lego thing. And the kids, what they've done is they've created a social media platform and they're encouraged to remix and so my concern within the machine learning system, and like we can kind of maybe, you know, hear from Kenny, if Kenny has some thoughts and if we move on to the, that other video, um, but once you understand it all is machine learning, I think what they're trying to do is capture like the creativity of children, mm -hmm. like, and youth and to get their stories. Like, I do feel that somehow there is an energetic force that is pulling not just data because they've got a ton of data already. I mean, some of it's dark data and structured data, but now they want personal data. They want personal stuff. And then they want to know how your personal stuff interfaces with somebody else's personal stuff. So if you can create something, this whole push for online creation with the NFTs is part of that, but then let's all talk about it. Why don't we sample from each other? Why don't we do, but it's all digitally mediated is it feels like there's sort of this parasitic system that is, is trying to co-opt and hijack the creative, um, intuitive sort of communal life force that's in children specifically, because I think children are, you know, they're less jaded <laughs> than adults in many respects. So. And do you want to come in? Yeah, I mean, it just sounds again that um, kids are the most precious commodity and tool of, of, of what you're talking about. And, you know, and again, it's just there's a stake for parents or people who care about, you know, their kids. And, and you know, it, of course, it's our livelihoods, right? Like our individual future, the near future. But, you know, it, it, it's about kids ultimately and protecting them and giving them a chance to be human. Um, uh -huh. and, 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 and have a life where they decide to be who they want to be, you know, and they're not told and, and just that in mind. And, you know, because in some way we're all manipulated, we're all conditioned, we're all, you know, um, subjected to this narrative, right? Narrative stuff, like psychological, you know, nudges, uh, you know, that's what advertisement is. That's what the, you know, the, the, uh, at least the primitive forms of it, of, of it. And so what we're facing here is like something more insidious um, that, you know, we're trying to make sense of right here, right? And, and so, but we, and we may not know fully, right? Like the implications, but we just know that it, does, it, it doesn't feel good. We, it, our gut tells us that that's not it. You know, that, 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 that is a dark place uh, for, for those kids, you know, and, and, and for ourselves too, because, you know, the people who talk shit, who want to talk back, who dissent, you know, and and so again, that's what's at stake here too. That that ability for those kids to shape their own world, right? Because they're gonna be in in a world of surveillance and nudging and conditioning and programming that is way more insidious than anything we've ever faced. Mm -hmm. <clears throat>
and to start and to kick off um, AI and ML in, uh, in robotics is to start producing data. And to do that, our most powerful computer we have is our brain, right? This is autonomous robots doing amazing things. And there's a big chasm here. And what's missing is real-world scenarios, real-world data. How ideas become tasks which move us towards AI. AI is supposed to replace jobs. But what if people can control those robots all around the world and keep their jobs? Maybe one person can control 10 robots in 10 different Walmarts. While we move towards AI being autonomous to allow robots to be controlled. So you have a robot and you have a request. Okay, your request gets put into as a task. It gets pushed into Exosphere. A decision happens and it publishes this to AI companies which are partner companies of Synthium that are connected to Exosphere. And it also pushes it to humans, which we call HI. Here's a task. Who has the most confidence they can complete this task? Whoever completes that task gets rewarded. We're putting humans and AI almost against each other, but at the same time working with each other. As the robot is being controlled, all of the data is being stored in a database. And that database can be queried by these AI companies. And when they run simulations, they can reproduce this exact same scenario over and over and over again. The next time you go to ask a question for that robot, this AI system may have learned how to do that. And the more times you and everyone uses Exosphere and continues to train this database, the better that robot can cry out and say, help, I'm stuck. A human can come in, control that robot, and take it over for that last final 10%. And we call that the 10% edge case. So now what's just happened is this request has gone into Exosphere. You can see here it's been picked up by Amin. He's now going to be able to drive the robot and perform that specific task. There we go. So now you can see that Jeremy's got his drink, how well this task was completed. So was it, was it done satisfactory? I think so. Can answer that question. Uh, timely manner? Yeah, I think he went as fast as he could based upon the speed I did. And then, of course, the confidence and the accuracy of my description. So these answers that I've just provided of actually training an AI in a machine learning database. What we're doing is something new as an ideology that is changing how we're actually working with robotics. We also use this rating system to fuel and feed the reinforcement portion of the machine learning database, as well as we use this rating system to be able to qualify humans. We set up something called the training playground. So on the website for Synthium, under products and Exosphere, you'll find the Exosphere and all the tasks that are currently loaded. Now these three tasks are always going to be there because these are training tasks. And these tasks are special because they're marked internally inside of our system that every time you complete one of these tasks successfully and actually do it within a timely manner, you will increase your human task rating, which allows companies to be able to choose you as a qualified user to control their warehousing robots or their towel delivery robots in a hotel or their medical delivery robots in a hospital. It doesn't matter what the robot is, the different level of rating is going to qualify you to be able to control those robots. Controlling a robot that I'm supposed to park into the blue zone. You can actually use a USB joystick if you plug it in as well. 
in my task I just completed, 31 second session has generated 463 machine vision samples for classification. Our AI company partners can use the identified machine vision images that we've taken from the robot and they can classify them and classify objects and classify various interesting points within the image for navigation. And then you can relate those classified samples to the navigation decisions. So why did I turn left? Why did I turn right? What were my different decisions based on? And they're based on different images that are of interest for the navigation. We almost have a million robot connections in the last year. It doesn't matter what the, the task is. The more information that we can use Exosphere for, the smarter we can get it. The more data we can build, the better it'll become. And then we'll become Synthium as a knowledge base of all of the tasks that will power the robots of the future. <laughs> well, the first thing that cracks me up is that Jessica did not seem cracked up by that stuff. <laughs> Kenny was laughing. Allison was laughing. Jessica, you were just sitting back there, just like not looking at. I just, I, I don't even know. I'm just like, who, who wants this world? I mean, how is this gonna make anything better for anyone? Ugh. One person can get ten robots going, and more jobs for robots until. <laughs> <laughs> like how is it sustainable though like i'm thinking like rather than just hiring a person who already exists like you build 10 things out of like materials that are not sustainable and create e-waste and trash and take power and then you put them in walmart so people can buy more shit i mean like none of it makes sense if you just step like pause for one minute you realize how fucked up it all is like where are they gonna put if you have 10 robots where are they gonna put all those robots like literally we're gonna be crowded out we're gonna be like oh there's too many robots and how many walmarts are there gonna be if every person is committed controlling 10 robots in, I mean I don't want robots and I don't want Walmart I, I I just part of me wonders like you know these people that talk about this stuff with so much emotion and passion like I I wonder if they're they themselves are still human you know because they've been programming like uh, you know, it makes me think of, you know, people who spend a lot of time in nature and how their brain gets wired differently, right? Like they, they you know, people start giving, um, you know, the more time you spend with, in nature, the more uh, you see it as a relationship, as a, as a living organism, right? And so it makes me think about them spending time with these robots and, and, and the way their brains is getting wired. So, you know, they, they are, you know, like we talked about transhumanism and like that to me in itself, it is transhuman right like the ability like how oblivious you are to the implications of this stuff and just simply a simple goddamn question of why yeah. you know, why you know what is the need for all that you know but it makes me you know something i keep repeating on this show is that the more educated you are the more indoctrinated you are into a system in in you know um and because like i had a ex coworker who's now an engineer, master's in engineer. Uh, one time we were talking about politics, you know, and he he has limitations in, in, in ways that he sees the world. And so his answer, you know, as to how to solve the problems of the world was to produce more. This is a, this is a civil engineer with a master's degree, right? He, his answer to how to fix the problems of the world was to produce more. 
you know, and, and so, and, and like, we're supposed to live in an age of, right, like the Green New Deal bullshit, <laughs> you know, they the, the also consent, you know, in the previous video that we showed, uh, you know, the, about AI, you can tell people, you can't tell people, you don't have yeah. to, you know, like, we live in an age of consent and boundaries and, 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 you know, more and more, it just seems superficial, you know, like, it just, it just seems like we don't really want to take, and just like, you know, just like the attack on people who don't want to get vaccinated, right? It just seems more and more that there is no consistency. There is no consistency in principles and values, and and, and we're already being programmed, you know, but by these systems. And so, in the highest example is these people that just pay days with robots, and, and all they talk is robotics and mathematics and science and measuring shit. And what about the human stuff? You know, my partner a while back said that San Francisco is full of robots, and I believe her. <clears throat> Uh, it's so such H I S, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, but like it once because the, there was a time when people were wondering. Well, I wonder if they could produce a robot that would be as smart as a human. Like the the, the notion of H I, like or humans intelligence was there. They and this guy's already said, well, look, AI, AI, and then oh, by the way, there's this thing called H I. We may have to be throwing in here every once in a while. It's like oh, so humans. You hit the tree. Bit. <laughs> Pulling the HI when he hits the tree. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if I could be as smart as the AI. <laughs> but go ahead, Jessica. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I one of the things I was just struck by was just thinking about um like conditioning, right? And you know, some people would probably watch this who aren't as immersed in this stuff as us and be like, uh, you know, whatever. It's a little far-fetched or you know it's whatever kind of dismiss it but I mean I was just there's so many elements just in that however many minutes that we watched everything from the like the five-star thing right like we've all been doing that on Amazon ratings and Yelp and Uber right the the whole like HI versus AI and it's like kind of a game and we're competing and I'm thinking you know like when you start a new video game right like you play against the computer and it's competitive but also it's you know it's training you right like you that's how you learn the the thing at the end about like you the human getting a rating right I mean social media right like I mean all of it like it's already it's already here and just, yeah, I mean, like what Kenny said, just like the technology, you're not just operating on the technology, right? Like the technology is also operating on you. It's so scary. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm so disturbed. <laughs> and does, does it not make you wonder why more people aren't putting the pieces together? Like literally, I don't know if it's going to end up in the recording, but like at the beginning, like I was so frustrated. There was a three-hour webinar that that a friend of mine put on my radar that was at the University College Cork, Ireland, and they were doing VR installations in higher ed. And of course, they're always in the libraries. Like that's how it's done. And they're like, oh, it's interdisciplinary. Yeah. And, you know, and they're all excited about all these opportunities and they pick like, oh, look, you can like be in a volcano or look, this like geological formation, like got run through by a highway construction. You can't get to it anymore, but now we have it preserved in VR. And so they have all of these very cherry pick cases. And I'm in the chat sort of chiming in, like, have you considered how this fits in with the global next phase of globalization and remote labor? Like, do you understand how this fits in with 
blockchain credentialing and stackable badges for perpetual learning online. Like what, have you thought of any of these things? And they had, it was, some of it was in Ireland, but then they had panels with U.S. folks from University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, which is the home of Plato, which is the first online education system, one of the first ones. I actually, when I did a cross-country road trip and I stopped at the library where the Plato research was done and they were often used it on prisoners. <laughs> There's actually a really good book I, I would recommend to people called The Friendly Orange Glow about Plato and the programming and how different the experience was, but for the programmers who found it really liberating because they, they had the ability to make the world and then the users who thought it sucked. And so, you know, it, it was very different, like depending on which end of the software you're on, it was either great or terrible. And then they had people from San Diego State um, University, which is San Diego is the center for workforce pathways and income sharing agreements and, you know, fourth industrial revolution, nanotechnology research and all of these things. And so when you start to look, learn the language of gaming and AI, like learning reinforcement, right, our pathway design. All these career pathways or learning journeys, it seems very different when you realize that every time you're learning in a digital space, you're actually teaching the machine. Like, and, and I think once, if you can, people can get to the point that it's flipped and you realize like online learning is actually online teaching or online theft, <laughs> you know, of who you, like your identity, identity theft, it's very different. It's a very different frame. And these people could not handle it. Like they were just like, well, how do you clean the headsets? And how many, like, what are your, like, what is your implementation challenges? And uh, like, nobody was engaging with any of the material. I'm like, can you please look at this slide share from a defense simulation company that's talking about the biometric data pulled out of children in these competency-based headsets and like what that means? How can this be okay with you? Look at this as a defense contractor. This is military technology. They don't care because they're just trained to implement their program. That's it. And like, I, I loved reading as a kid. Like I loved the library. We had a great school librarian. Like I wanted the librarians to fight. Like I wanted the librarians to be on the front lines, like, you know, but no, they're like, would you like a 3d printer? Would you like some VR headsets? Would you like to feel very important? Would you like to be innovatively disruptive? And they're like, yes, 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 yes. And then they're just done. I'm just, eventually they kicked me out. I mean, like when they were talking about empathy and virtual reality, because that's about soul theft, really, is doing empathy training in VR. And they said, the people who are funding this, one of them, like T. Danny Sanford, was brought up on child pornography charges. It's not safe. And people should, like, and I just keep chasing them around going, you're responsible because you know now. You're building it. I mean. Well, the, the two groups of people, by and large, I agree that a lot of folks are not, or the people around me that I work with are not thinking about where this is headed. But I do think about like the farmers in India taking down telecommunication towers. Like, why were they doing that? Like, did they stumble upon those? Like, they they were seeing a connection in relationship to the things that were taking place to them as they were being pushed off or being threatened with being pushed off their land and not being able to use it. And these bigger companies basically being able to own it. Um, and I, and I do think, I personally think that where, when the, these Canadian truckers who definitely are talking at least about digital ID and they have seen 
the impact that they've had from being able to move their them being able to move their trucks into this place and how them enacting their own livelihood is connected to them having the potential to control their lives. I don't think Canadian truckers are going to just say, oh, they're automating our jobs. That's a bad luck. You know, I think by virtue of having used their trucks to try to transform and change their world and having had some level of success and pushback, even if they're not going to get the whole way, I think they will understand that there's a deeper threat when somebody just says, hey, we've got this convenience for you. And the the problem for the rest of us, and I th- certainly think this is true for educators, is we haven't been in that fight. We 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 have given, we've by and large given up the idea that there's anything we can do to change our reality for us. And except for going, go along with it and try to find your best place somewhere along the way. So that is my, I, I feel most strongly that I we saw the fact that the people in India, when they went in that struggle, that struggle taught them something about the world that they were, they were up against. And I actually think this is true with like the truckers um, that they, and I do think there's going to be a push more to automate those kinds of jobs by virtue of what's they've done. And I don't, I don't think they're just going to let them do that. I don't know if they'll be able to stop them, but I think they're more likely to resist that than teachers who seem to be hell bent on training our replacements. Yeah, it's really wild. At my school, um, just about a year ago, I think, um, they they started this like partnership with a private. Uh, it's basically like they're outsourcing advising. So you have these third party people who are not employed by you know, the, the public university, um, coming in and they're actually like my school uses canvas and they're actually in our classrooms, like on our, like they can see everything. Right. So like if they're, if the, uh, advisor has an advisee in that class, then they have access to all the material and Whoa. the faculty are kind of up in arms about this, right? Because they're really worried about like intellectual property threat and, you know, threats to their labor, right? Um, that it's all being privatized and corporatized, right? And and they see it, like they see, okay, ultimately this could lead to us being pushed out of our jobs. Um, so it's wild to me that like, they can't see that with like, well, how, long, how many years have you been on Canvas? Like where (laughs) that data is going and then at Google classroom and Microsoft, whatever it is, these past two years, it's just like, how, how can you not make that connection? I I don't get it. I mean, I think some of it, like at least in the K-12 space, and I don't know about higher ed, but like teachers are so have been so beaten down that the tech companies have all this money to throw at them and time and to say like, we care about you. You're important. Would you like to come to our conference? Would you like a tote bag? We'll train you and we'll say, tell you you're wonderful. And like after a decade of doing that, like you'd have to like be a pretty tough person not to fall for it. Right. Like if you're like in a crappy job and nobody's really appreciating you except the technology companies and they're like, you're a, you know, a doer and a leader and a this and a, and you're be like, yeah, like, cause you're going to be, you're going to feel validated by them. And so of course you're going to defend that. Like, 
you know, when the Chicago teachers unions turn around and like threw a hissy fit about having their Google classroom turned off. And, you know, I jumped on and like put 500 tweets to be like, wrong discussion, wrong discussion. <laughs> like, don't, don't be defending Google classroom. <laughs> like it's, it's going to Bluffdale. It's not, you know, you're training a replacement. And I'm not saying Lori Lightfoot is a great person, but like, they're polarizing this for a reason, like to create a spectacle that is totally not about the thing that you need to be worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is Canvas connected to Instructure? Yeah. Okay. Also, also, can I just chime in? Like, so my one yeah. piece about this is that, like, I went to maybe at the end, Andy, we can put a link. But a year ago, I did uh, several talks in the Salt Lake City area. And so much of this stuff is embedded in Salt Lake City. Um, actually, the first virtual object that was ever designed was in, designed at the University of Utah. So all the stuff that's like in a game, like the first one was made there. It was a teapot that that he made this mathematical shape and like put in the in the internet. So it's and the internet was birthed outside of Salt Lake City. So anyway, so I, I did all of this field work, including going to the NSA Bluffdale Data Center, um, and and I went to Instructure. I went to the instructor and Evernim, which is the digital identity center. And they're both like wedded together in this. And I, I truly believe that the instructor is about the data, the interoperable data sets and the networked data sets. And to understand like when they want to talk about impact, really, they want to see how things are weighted, like re- rating relationships, like all the stars and, you know, the checking and the ratings of people. I think it's all about mapping social the social networking to create not just the simulation, but to somehow learn how societies work. Like, I feel like there's something in there that's trying to learn how it actually works. And, um, and so the fact that it's in Salt Lake, and again, we're, we're going to go March 19th is, and I, I think you could even sign up for it online, although there's like a, a small fee, um, the Mormon Transhumanist Association. And the whole thing is focused on decentralization, very heavily libertarian leaning. Um, people from the Charter Cities Movement, which is Paul Romer out of NYU, sort of states of exception. You just carve out bits of countries that are in the middle of a country and have a company take it over or some other, some other government take it over. Um, it's crazy, but that's all mixed up in Salt Lake City with Instructure too. So I feel like it's it's feeding this transhumanist program. Evernim is connected with Learning Economy Foundation, with the World Bank. And it's all, it's yeah, it's all linked to your digital identity, your digital twin. And could I ask one question? That yeah. Maybe it's, because we did start with the talk discussion about blockchain. What, can you just make sure it's to spell out, if, if I understand this right, the connection between AI and blockchain is blockchain is like the 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 required data collection architecture that allows all this data to both be collected and to go to the places it needs to go in order for the AI to be developed. Is that how these things are connected? Yeah, I mean it's the interoperability. So, like in the video where it said, "Oh, there's a task here. Let's put it in an envelope and send it to the platform." Like when it gets sent to the platform, if you do a request to like do that job or to try to compete with the AI for that job, it's going to sort you based on data in the blockchain. Now, what they will say is it's private, right? Like the machine will know what your rate will sort through your stuff and you'll have to allow access to that, you know, and they'll, they'll say it's private. But if you want to do the job, you have to allow access to that part of your identity. And then the AI is going to access into that. And so... 
and it all has to happen at scale, you know, and quickly. So that's, I think it's, it's meshed in with the quantum computing. Like they're going to have to get the computing power up, up there. But um, yeah, it's all of the automation and people, while they say it's private, like the MIT, they had something called the Enigma protocol that morphed into something that's now called the secret network that essentially allows for querying on encrypted data. So they can do data analyses for these impact markets that I, you know, I talk about a lot without necessarily exposing your PII, like it would be a cohort right? Like here's a cohort of people who went through a training. Here's a cohort of people who went through a treatment program. Here's a cohort of people who, you know, were identified as having this medical, whatever. And then that stuff can be queried in aggregate to fulfill the needs of the financial markets. And so, yeah, it's private, but it just having it be private, isn't going to stop the impact markets or the spatial web. And I think increasingly it's going to be start to be seamless because you'll have all these tokens and you're wandering around the metaverse with sensors and you'll be able to do or not do things based on what's in your digital wallet, whether that is held on a, on a phone or in some sort of biologically based sensor eventually. And you won't even think about it. Like that's, that's what they've, they talked about. What is it? The, the invisible rainbow or whatever, like at first, the electricity wiring, like when it was gas and electric, like the electric wires were out all over the place and you can see them and the knob and tube. And then they went into the wall and then you just didn't think about it anymore. And that's where they're trying to get with the internet of things and the biosensors, I think is just like, at first it's clunky and it's attached to a device, but eventually it'll just be seamless. And all of that will need to run through the blockchain because everything is a choice architecture. That's it. It's it's all coding and it's all choice architecture and waiting and predicting. Hmm. I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of. It's not. No, it's just not good. Um, that's no. I mean, but it it. I think I understand how that would work. Well, and the frustrating thing on the on the not wanting to. I mean, not that you're not wanting to understand, but people who are embedded in the system. Like I had this pretty extensive exchange with the guy, and he reached out to me from Learning Economy Foundation. And I sent him a link to a paper by Melanie Swan. And I recommend everyone look her up on blockchain. And she's talked about like transhuman blockchain brains, like that you would enter into problem solving digital arrangements. Like imagine a room, a quote unquote digital space where some of the presences are not actually human that are machines. Although if everything just has a gamified a avatar how will you even know it's like in that robot well you might might be an ai it might be a person you don't have to know like that's on a need to know basis so you're in a room you might be with a person you might be with machine you're solving a problem and you're getting paid in sort of tokens and she talks about that but one of the other things she talks about literally using nanotechnology in people's brains in the neurons those having nanotech on the synapses there are like three different kinds and that they would regulate the activity or track the activity in the brain using blockchain and using literally a blockchain economic, like an energy economy system Mm. to manage the neuronal like activity for this transhumanist process. Now, whether they've actually accomplished that yet, or this is sort of theorized, but I shared this with the learning economy foundation guy who's talking about like paying people for learning. And I said, this is the end game of your learning economy. It's, nanobots on your neurons in your brain with an energetic economy. 
And he just like quickly replied back, well, we're not doing that. That's not the thing we're doing. And I said, that's totally an inappropriate response. Like how many people would get a paper? And it was like with the science research gate link, how many people get that paper? And your response is not, oh, but I'm not doing that. Your response should be, oh my gosh, where did you get that? What does that mean? What? what? Mm-hmm. Like that's the right response. And I told him that I'm like, it's not a passing the buck or deflection. This is huge. Literally, we're talking about nanobots engineering your neurons. You're not allowed just to be like, yeah, yeah, but that's not the thing I'm doing. Or like, yeah, yeah, that's not the program. The program I'm doing wasn't actually funded by the child pornography billionaire. It was the one across town was funded by that, but not mine yet. You know, and <laughs> and they seem like such significant things. They're not minor things. They're really big things. So I don't know. As Cliff says, you put your intentions out and they go where they're supposed to go. <laughs> Maybe there was somebody on that University of Cork webinar who like thought twice. I I kind of thought that I saw the faculty, one of the faculty people like have a panicked look on her face when she was looking through some of my links. I do that to people. Um, Kenny or Jessica, do you have any things you want to add or ask? Um, I mean, I, I don't think there's much, I don't really know what to, to say. I think, I think this is for me, a, mostly the, we'll be talking more about this, Allison, but, uh, I think this has been helpful for me to kind of connect again. Um, there are these discussions that are going on about blockchain can they be used can bitcoin can it and what i think we're laying out here is that this is not about bitcoin this is not about currency even i mean of course there's going to be a digital currency this is about a construction of a technology for for restructuring and structuring society across the board and um and then really displacing humans by learning what humans are and seeing if they can make ones that I don't know if, just that do it more do things human things more efficiently and then eventually maybe even they'll be smarter I don't know what they think about it but it's it is um we are in a in a big way training our replacements that's I guess that's, that's the thing what I would say too is that this is not about you going home to do whatever you want to do, you know, with your life, you know, in, in, in abundance, in abundance, right. Of things for you. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not that, uh, utopian, uh, picture of humanity. Um, it, it's about to me that what I see is more mystery, you know, in the process of implementing all this. Um, and, uh, we were already, you know, it's already happening right now, you know, with, with the, the, this call, quote-unquote pandemic um you know that has greatly accelerated all this and and again like if anybody has not this is new to somebody like you know and they uh have the urge to dismiss us as conspirational just go to the you know the world economic forum website you know like just read out what they're telling you you know and, and what they want to do you know, read some of the white papers that you've uh, pointed out, uh, Alison, and, and, you know, and, you know, they make a decision, right? If that's, you think that's a better world, you know, and I, I'm not saying like right now is, is a good world and I'm not saying like 
and I would want to stay stuck here in, you know, in Kumbaya. But what I'm saying is that the world is taking shape is not in our hands, you know. And and so when I look at the truckers in in Canada, and the farmers in India, you know, who manage to uh, go on strike, right, and motivate people to go on strike, massive strike, you know. 300 million people, you know, because some of my friends told me before, you know, Kenny, it's so hard to organize, you know, in this country. This country is big, you know, the United States. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, and like, people have different ideas and stuff. Yeah, you know, have you have you paid attention to India? You know, and I understand that it wasn't, and they, and they not only, you know, do they have a lot of things that we don't have, right? And, but they, they are also subjected to the biggest, biometric surveillance system mm -hmm. that is in the world right now. Yep. And so it, 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 they, I think they know more than we do, you know, like in, 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 in resisting in trying to fight back in, in understanding life and nature, I think, because mm -hmm. exactly for the same reasons, because they have the things that we don't have, you know, and maybe we have too much shit that's programming us already. And, you know, we don't see, you know, like, um, you know, we're getting programmed like like those fuckers that spend time, you know, too many hours with robots, you know, and, and playing video games and Instagram, and the TV and, and Zoom. And so I, I would invite them to look into those places, you know, the places where there is joy, right? And like, because they were still dancing. The Canadians, they were playing hockey on the fucking ice, you know, like <laughs> a miserable cold. You know, people in India were protesting in the fucking heat. You know, and I've seen people rise up in worse conditions, you know, with daunting, you know, um, you know, like odds against them. And, and so, like, again, like, like Lipson, you know, I've asked him and I still, you know, don't have an answer. Why do you do this? Why do you fight? Why have you done this for so many decades? And, and, and then he, his answer is, my other option is to go home and play video games. <laughs> you know, and so... That's what I guess I, I post to people, you know, and, and that, you know, one is not just about vaccines. It's not just about, you know, uh, vaccine passports. It's not just about block, blockchain either. It, it's not just about capitalism. You know, to me, it's about humanity and, and trying to find out what the hell does that mean for you? But if, because if it means being connected with a robot, well, I guess I'm, I'm in the wrong world. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, you have any thoughts? I don't think I can top that. <laughs> um, or Allison, anything you want to final words here? No, I just, I, I appreciate you guys being willing to spend some time to mm -hmm. lay things out more. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I think the the mobilization with the truckers is, is really good. I think there are some concerns about the cryptocurrency and people sort of separating out that like, Oh, I did, our own digital currency system, you know, is going to work. Um, a lot of this is narrative building. And, and I worry in some ways, I have my friend, Stephanie, who's very knowledgeable about such things and she's been following it, but she's concerned that it may be like, include some AI simulation, like mm. tr scenario training, which again, not that any of the regular people on the ground would necessarily know that, but like, you know, these you know, it's complicated. It's all complicated, but it is good to see people mobilized. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the health stuff backs off for a while, if what happens in the schools, 
what happens with the parents, because a lot of the parents have been very activated um, around issues of the masks. And also, unfortunately, I'll just say like the social emotional learning stuff has become completed with the critical race theory stuff. And I think that was done on purpose to inflame and misdirect people around what's really happening. And those people don't understand social emotional learning is linked to these social impact markets. They don't know about Clive Belfield's, you know, 11% return on investment on social emotional curriculum. And so they sort of double down, like, unfortunately, making the identity politics stuff worse. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's all part of how that is playing out. But maybe parents will start to wise up. And if we can talk about impact markets and talk about like, the broader picture, we'll get there. Um, But clarity is important. And um, I don't know. It's, I I guess it's a little complicated. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It's sort of an outlier and things. I'm like, no, we actually have to be very clear about what it is because there's so much manipulation of the narrative, whether people know it or do not know their role in it, that until you can become clear about the nature of it, you're not going to be able to come up with an effective strategy against it because they know when they're gaming it, the AI, all of the data and all of your reactions are further feeding and reinforcing the system and the decision architecture. So like, I think from a place of moral fortitude, like as Kenny said, like you have to figure it out for you. <laughs> like don't rely on somebody else to tell you, like sift the information and decide where you stand and then be firm, but don't sample all sorts of contradictory information because you just like a lot of interesting people in your media feed. And then, weigh it all equally because it it's once you make certain choices, it means these other choices are going to have to fall away and just be clear about that. Like, and I'm not telling you what to choose, but choose it from your heart and do it for a principled reason. Yeah, I agree. And I, for me, what I would say is I believe at least in this mandate, anti-mandate audience, I, I sense more openness to this stuff um, the, the digital part is more something that people will talk about. I think the economics part and the financialization element is farther behind. Cause I think that if for, even for me is still, I'm trying to make sense of it, but, uh, I, I do feel like there's an openness to, uh, to learning about that. Um, but there will, will these, it will require some actions on our part. And, um, I don't think we've figured out who we've, we haven't been able to f- accumulate people around us to do something to then take a stand somewhere together. Um, a lot of us have just had done our individual things um, and it's come at a cost or a price, but it hasn't led to something that would make us feel like we could control our world. It's hard to know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. I do think just to add one quick thought, like, just thinking about um, some of the defensiveness and dismissiveness that, you know, all of us probably at some point have <laughs> kind of voiced in this conversation and, you know, our frustrations reaching out to people who should really be in solidarity with us, like even from their own self-interest. Um, I don't know, maybe this is like a generous take, but I, I do think stuff like blockchain may be part of what's so hard for people or like, I mean, I had a hard time, like rap, I still am having a hard time, like wrapping my head around it fully is maybe it's something like you, you kind of have to play like mental gymnastics, even to just kind of get into the perspective 
of people who create these things, right? Because it is so anti-human. And so I wonder if that's part of, I don't know, why it's so hard for people who, you know, are are good people and are trying to, you know, trying to Mm. fight for a world that they want for their children. But it's just... I don't know. It's, it's weird stuff and it's dark. And so it, it is easier to just be defensive and like, Oh yeah, that's, that's bad, but that's not what I'm doing. Like you were saying, Allison. And I don't know. It's the stuff. I know, but like literally with the, his program officer talked, contacted me first. And I said, I don't really like see myself like talking with people who align with the world bank and the MIT war machine. Like I'm not. And they're like, but we're not. And I'm like, here's two screenshots from your own webpage that says you are. Don't lie to me. Don't be a liar. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, we can have a difference. if you Don't lie to me. So, but I agree. Like I have, I have a college age child who has really rejected me over all of this. And it's hard, you know, I, like I love them. And I know that I think eventually at some point they'll realize why. And I, I know in their heart, they know I'm not some monster that they've imagined me to be, um, but they're just keeping their distance because I think, yeah, if you're 21, you don't want to look at those videos and say, that's the future. Because if we feel overwhelmed and we're like, you know, people with a certain amount of life experience, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a younger person in, in all of this. So that's why I try to take such a firm line for like the people coming up behind is like, some of us who are on this edge generation of the digital sphere, like we're the last ones to be able to say what it was before, or at least partially before you guys are younger than me, but you know, they're not going to be able to say a four-year-old is not going to be able to consent to building a world of telerobotic labor on blockchain. And if like, have the fucking conversation in public, you know what I mean? Have the balls to have the conversation to say like, yeah, this is like, this is the best we can do is to run the world like this and have one person run 10 robots in 10 Walmarts. That's what we're building. Damn it. And then just like own that as opposed to like pretending that you're doing something beautiful and giving good jobs to good people, because that's not what you're doing. Um, yeah, but everybody wants to be good. I guess I I suck at like lift uplifting people and making them feel good. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, everybody wants to be their better selves. It's always like yeah. ah. so. I think I feel like um, you know people people who will hold a line and not waver from that uh, they always pay a price for doing that. And I think you have to you have had to pay a price for saying, no, I'm not going to give on some of these things. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to pretend that there's something good that that's crossing this line here. Um, and, uh, but I appreciate like, cause I, Allison, I think, you know, you and I have had some like discussions before about how to approach things and things and stuff like that. But I feel like your uh, steadfastness, steadfastness is invaluable. And I by and large feel like most of the things you've, stuck to and talked about i don't like them but they are explaining what i'm seeing in front of me that's coming and so i don't think we'll be able to stop it unless we can get an idea of what's what what's taking Mm -hmm. place so that part like you know i think you've had to pay a price for it but i think it's 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 really the strength you've had that is a strong thing that you're giving or you're contributing to the possibility of us actually stopping this 
I think you also like those people like you, Allison, you know, those people who are willing to hold the line, like you have to be well, do you know what I mean? Like, and I don't, I don't mean this in like a judgy or mean way, but I mean, a lot of people are very unwell physically and mentally, mostly, you know, through the fault of, of the systems and environment that we live in. And so it's maybe not so surprising that, I mean, it, it takes a level of fortitude and resolve to, you know, fight. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I mean, fortunately in a position, at least at the moment that I have the financial resources, like the, the space to do the work, right. To like spend the time to have click, like it takes a lot to have free time to think things, right. And to have enough stability to think and project. And that's something that people who are living from crisis to crisis and overwork and gig jobs and like, it's a, they can't. And I, I think that's the hard thing within the identity politics space and the left space that I was even seeing in Philly before the pandemic was that because of my background, you know, I would be dismissed of like, you don't know my life experience, go sit in the corner and wait till we call on you. And I'm like, but the problem of structural racism, colonialism, imperialism is a, it's not one racist, like we both have to figure it out because like we, I bear responsibility. Like you can't just be like, well, you're not part of the conversation. Like, I'm not going to tell other people what to do, but like, I know the stuff that I have to do to try to fix the stuff that needs to be fixed. And so I'm not going to just be a passive waiting around type of person. And um, because I, for whatever reason, I have this gift or curse to have to tell this thing. And I can't just sit because nobody else is doing it, right? If there were some really super effective, you know, people from these communities who were able to articulate this story in a way that could mobilize other people, then I would just sit down and go, great, you guys are doing it. But it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe it is, and I just haven't run across these people. Um, so anyway. I think you're bringing up, you know, the fact that, <laughs> To fight this, it's not just about learning about what the hell blockchain is. You know, we have to discuss the other things, you know, that that potentially can divide us and separate us from us, you know, getting, you know, that 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 future that we want, right? Like trying to shape our society. And so um, I guess my point is like that's I think why I'm honored to contribute to this show is that we talk about those other things too that are important. You know the, the the identity politics, the you know racial politics, the you know um, we talk to people who we're not supposed to talk to. You know some people <laughs> have that in mind at us because you know we we, we we you know like Joe Rogan is getting shit right for for you know talking to different people and you know even though like I don't agree fully with his worldview, you know I respect that he's doing you know things in earnest and um, and so. I guess my point is, yes, it's not just about the technology. We cannot become those robots, right? Like, (laughs) you know, like in my own personal journey, you know, trying to hold the line, trying to stay up front, uh, the the cost that I didn't know I was um, paying was that I was losing myself to the work too. And I am. Yeah. You know, because, and so, you know, because trying to, like right like trying to stay present is the biggest human thing right like i'm kind of like that's why i'm buddhist i guess of sorts i I like principles and you know like mindfulness right being present 
and, and it's not just about you, it's about the community that you have. And so my point is, yeah, it's not just about the technical aspects, you know, it's not even about just the theoretical Marxist stuff. It, it, it's about the ability to continue to, to learn even in place and, and, and push and, and try to be part of places where we are rejected too. You know, because like we, otherwise, like we're not gonna fight back just by being in those isolated communities. You know, that is a false sense of safety, right? Just like we tell people that, you know, think nationalism is safety for them. You know, just being like community. I'm also reading uh, the parable of the sower. Oh yeah, that's she's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and so you know, again, it's it's about multitude of things, and that's what being human is like. It's about multiple of complex things that, you know, sometimes just are, you know, and, and you can't define, it shouldn't be measured. And, but they still need to interact, right? To create something collectively. Otherwise we're at war, you know, and trying to cut each other's throats and, you know, and so, yeah, it's it just, I, that's what I appreciated these conversations that, you know, it's just not just technical mumbo jumbo. Um, we talk about life, our own experiences, you know, that's why I share my own experience with the whole vaccine thing. And it actually reached some people. You know, I actually had some people that apologized for the for being participant in the harassment over not being vaccinated. And so that's a step forward, okay. you know, and, 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 acknowledge, and, and then this person who I talked to about vaccine passports called me crazy. Then now it's like a little more receptive about it, you know, and, and a little more cautious. And so... I'm talking a lot about a lot about a lot of things, but I just want to second what Jessica said. Thank you for holding the line, you know, and, and it's important. And your work has been, uh, you know, instrumental for me to uh, also understanding this moment. And for a lot of people that we are in touch, that will come in touch through this attempt of resistance. And so your work is out there, and you know, and is echoing in many places at, at the moment. Yeah. And thanks for visiting us again, Allison. It's been a while. I think some people are were expecting us to do the part two of the. I know. I need to. I owe you the Orozco. My my computer died, and then I lost a bunch of links. So I I do want to get back to it. I I yeah. want to do it that justice. So I I have also sensed that you've kind of gone down this other road of investigation. So you needed to do because like a lot of the stuff you're doing with uh, J, J Jason, what's his last Bosch Bosch yeah. So uh, you know. You kind of get into things and then you just go down these roads, you know. Legos. So. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even get partially, but yeah. Okay, so, uh, well, again, thanks, Allison. Um, and that does it for this week's episode. What's Left is a weekly political podcast channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnode.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast there and connect with us. Um, if you like anything you heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our eight platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Telegram, or Rumble. Um, and if you'd like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Um, so once again, Allison, thank you very much for joining us again. Thank you. And, Thank you, guys. And Jessica, I think you're going to be a more long-term member. So thank, but thanks. And uh, Kenny, uh, we'll see each other next week. <laughs> thanks, everybody.